Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio Podcasts. I'm pleased to share a keynote fireside discussion with the CEO of Etsy on connecting communities from the 2022 Craco Conference. For more information about the Craco Conference, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit cracoevent.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hi, Josh. I know you can't see me, but uh, thanks for uh, being here with us today. Uh, I'd like to welcome uh, Josh Silverman to the Craco Conference. Uh, Josh uh, became CEO of Etsy in 2017, and prior to that was also leading other companies you may have heard of, like Evite or Shopping.com or Skype or American Express. So uh, Josh has had a remarkable career in uh, some really amazing companies, but way back when, when I first knew him back uh, several decades ago, he did a little healthcare consulting and has also had uh, just some uh, absorption of the industry through family connections and things. So you might ask, you know, what does Etsy have to do with clinical research? So um, in our rehearsal, we, we actually found there's a lot. Um, and so it's really exciting to have you here today uh, to discuss how Etsy, as well as your other experiences, connect to some of the challenges that we have within and the clinical research side. So we'll just jump right in. Uh, just want to say hello, Joshua, quick, make sure we can hear you. Hey, John, it's great to hear you uh, and to be connected uh, again. I'm glad to, glad to get a chance to come and talk. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So um, Etsy's mission is to keep commerce human, and Craco's, you know, is to improve patient access to clinical trials by reducing the gap between care and research. So we both have a mission to unite specialty markets. Um, how has Etsy worked to bridge that gap and stay true to the mission of uniting specialty markets? Yeah, and both, both Etsy and Craco have um, a mission and a purpose that I think is really important in terms of improving people's lives at the individual level and trying to do that at scale, right, across tens of thousands of people and, and, and impacting millions of people over time. Um, for Etsy, that means allowing individual artisans or craftsmen craft people, people who make things, um, to find a market to sell them. So we've got over 5 million sellers now. Uh, about 80% uh, of them are women. 91% of them are working from home um, and making things at home and then selling them uh, on Etsy to a global marketplace. And so the gap we're filling is for that individual artist or artisan, finding a community uh, that wants to buy their product is really tough. Um, for the buyers out there who don't want to just shop at Walmart or don't want to just shop at, at Amazon, but want the chance to actually buy something that was made just for them, that expresses their sense of identity, um, that supports a small business, you know, where else would they would they go? You could, uh, you know, go look and, and, and there's there's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of little websites out there. But how do you make sense of that information? And it's hard for a consumer to even know that there's an alternative. Um, and so, you know, with Etsy now as that central marketplace for 20 cents, someone can set up a shop, create a listing and um, with within, you know, a matter of minutes, get a shop up and running and sell to the whole world. And now we've got uh, about 88 million active buyers around the world with about $13 billion of commerce happening on on the, the Etsy website. 
So um, similar to, to Craco, where you've got um, drug research uh, companies that have a, a drug that they that they that they want to find uh, trial participants for, and then you've got people who have a, a disease and they're they're looking for alternatives um, that might be better than what's what's currently approved in the market. Um, but how do they find out about each other, and how do they come together? Uh, I, I think we face sort of, sort of similar opportunities and similar challenges there. Oh, definitely. I think that makes a lot of sense of how kind of taking, you know, sort of the, the disparate markets on either side and trying to push them together. And, and part of that, I think, is, is, is trying to build trust. And it's the trust with patients and, and physicians and sponsors to really pull all of this together, uh, which is also something that I think that is, is important within the, the marketplace at Etsy is trusting that your connection is going to yield a success. Um, so you, you've obviously scaled that trust. And so how, how have you done that? And how do you maintain that as you grow? Yeah. And, and first, I just want to acknowledge, obviously, the stakes are lower <laughs> in e-commerce than they are with, with healthcare. But nonetheless, they're, they're, they're high. Um, so, you know, an individual seller on Etsy is an unbranded seller selling an unbranded product. So if you're going to go buy a Bic razor or a can of Coke, you know exactly what that is, and you really don't care where you buy it because um, the brand um, already carries a lot of trust. But for someone who makes something on, on Etsy and sells it, you haven't heard of her. You don't really know anything about that product, and so am I going to like it? Is it going to be high quality? Is it going to arrive on time? You have all of these questions, and so we do have a, a trust gap that is very important to bridge. Also, just the trust of your time. If you're a buyer, is it even worth going to Etsy? Are they going to have something good for me? Are they going to be able to get me to the good stuff quickly? Um, can I trust uh, Etsy with my credit card information? All of these kinds of things. So there's a set of core, I would call it core hygiene, that Etsy runs on behalf of these sellers that's very important, a payments platform, for example. So uh, we run our own payments platform at scale. There's, again, billions of dollars of money being processed through that payments platform. It's really important that we are very secure with, uh, with payments uh, so people trust us with their credit card information. And like, likewise, they don't, they don't need to feel like they're giving their credit card information to individual sellers, which they may not trust. Um, they, they can trust Etsy. We run a, a, a large, uh, we offer logistics or shipping. So our sellers can buy labels through Etsy, which then put the parcel through the USPS or, or, or UPS or other things, but where the buyer gets tracking information all along the way. So we facilitate the, the shipping between the seller who ships directly to the buyer. Um, customer support, which Etsy manages, uh, so that uh, buyers and sellers know that there's an, a, a fair third-party intermediary who will make sure that things go right. But very importantly, also the power of the community. So buyer reviews, there's, there's millions and millions of reviews on Etsy that are written by buyers. Often the buyer will even take a photo of the item and put it up uh, for other buyers. So the idea that the community is helping the community uh, is is a really important part of, of how we establish trust. And it's critical. I think in many ways, it's the main value that we provide to our sellers is building a brand called Etsy that's bigger than any individual seller that has trust. And we build that brand and then we lend that brand to our sellers. And part of that means having standards that sellers uh, you know, are asked to, to live to in order that the greater good 
that the that the whole community can have a brand that is in and of itself trustworthy. That's great, Josh. And I think that's that is one of the the critical items I think for bringing bringing healthcare uh, closer to research is being able to bring that level of trust that those groups that are doing research maybe for the first time or haven't done it before can be trusted by the sponsors who are trying to develop their drugs and back and forth, that there's uh, a commitment back to those investigators, that there's um, support and willingness to continue. And it, so it is a whole different place. And, you know, you mentioned that this is a, that the, you know, the clinical research market is just a little more regulated than, than uh, retail. Um, so, you know, that, that poses some difficulties as far as how do you scale, you know, the, the opportunity and you know that that when you're trying to to progress and and move these move the ad advancement it's it's complicated and it's uh, not a quick or easy process to go through so no. you know I think there you know I'm sure that as as you've in your career have scaled and grown different businesses you've encountered sort of those kind of business challenges whether they're regulatory or otherwise that seem insurmountable at the time. Yeah, do you have uh, ideas or examples of those kinds of things that you've gone through to, uh, uh, that could be uh, applicable here? Yeah, I mean, uh, we often face challenges that feel very complex and mm -hmm. it, it can lead to apathy actually. Ugh, there's too many pieces of this problem and therefore I'm just gonna do nothing. Um, and uh, instead, what we found as a way to, to break that is really to, to, to break the problem down and find um, maybe the simplest use case and find a way to solve that simplest use case and then go in concentric circles to the ever more challenging ones once you have proof of concept in, in the simplest area. Just to, to give an example, when I worked for eBay many, many years ago, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that eBay in its earliest days, even when eBay first went public, um, a large percentage of all the items bought on, on, on eBay were Beanie Babies and Pet Rocks and Coins and Stamps, the tiny little collectible market. Um, and the, the, the reason is that the challenge for any two-sided marketplace, an e-commerce marketplace, is that when you launch, there are, there are sellers who may come to try to sell something, but there's no buyers, so the sellers leave. The buyers come, but there's nothing to buy, so they leave. And that very simple chicken and egg actually turns out to be really difficult to get past. And most marketplaces, the vast majority of marketplaces fail because they never get past that seemingly simple problem. Um, so the way that, that eBay solved it in the early days was to say, we're only going to focus on these tiny little niches, Beanie Babies and Pet Rocks. And, uh, you know, we can get the passionate Beanie Baby and Pet Rock community on more easily than everything else. And uh, they were successful at doing that. And then after that is coins and stamps. And then after you get th through collectibles, now that we got a bunch of people that are for, there for collectibles, maybe we can get someone to buy apparel. Maybe we'll get someone to buy jewelry and sort of working out in concentric circles. So I wonder if in, in your world, uh, there are maybe lower stakes drugs. There, there, there are places where uh, a, a clinical site might have easier types of research that could get done. There are areas where um, it, it's slightly less regulated or the stakes are slightly lower um, and, and starting to build uh, really, in your case, I think maybe a three-sided marketplace because you've got the clinical site, you've got the drug company, 
and then you've got the patient and, and you might even have a physician um, in, in the middle there. So a three or four sided marketplace, where do you find the easiest places um, and then build out from there? Yeah, I think that that's a great that's a great point is, is with the focus. I, I know that um, for years, you know, in this industry, going to conferences like this where you see some developer come up and say, we can't get our study done because there's not enough patients. And then the next group is a, a patient advocacy group that says we can't find studies for our patients. And so, you know, we know there's a big connection there, but uh, pulling it together and then trying to focus on what we can incrementally get done. Um, and that's a great reminder. I, I did not remember that uh, eBay started, you know, with Beanie Babies. And I forgot all about Beanie Babies, to be honest. But that's a, that's a great example. Yeah, right. it's a great example because it is, you know, these, these problems can often seem so complex and, and, and uh, difficult to handle. Um, you know, I think one of the other things that we could touch on uh, is inclusivity and diversity. I know that that's been... Um, a challenge within the clinical trials area and more highlighted in the last couple of years um, and something. But I think, you know, Etsy has, has been and continues to be a leader in, in diversity, both in, you know, nurturing an inclusive marketplace and, and, and through a lot of different initiatives. So, you know, why is this important to Etsy? And, you know, how can people in other industries sort of tackle this, this issue um, yeah, so it is very important to Etsy, and starting with gender diversity, you know, as I mentioned, 80% of our sellers and, and roughly 80% of our buyers have historically been, been women. And so having a, a company that has a very high proportion of women in, in all parts of the company, um, and including certainly in leadership, is, is very important. So we have empathy for our customers. Um, and so, uh, you know, half of the board are, are women, uh, two-thirds of the leadership team are women. I'm very proud of the fact that a third of the engineers are women. And that's, that's a big deal because, um, you know, less than 15% of engineers nationally are women, um, which is a problem. And it's something we've, mm -hmm. we've really got to fix. Um, but Etsy is at, you know, more than twice the, um, the national level of uh, representation of women in engineering. And that's really important for us to serve our customers well. And it hasn't been an accident. It's happened as a result of intention. So the fact that you're naming it and we're talking about it is, is already helpful. Etsy has been focused on, on having a diverse workforce for the 15 years that it's, that it's existed. And I think one of the things that has been very helpful is to set uh, challenging goals, announce them publicly, and then hold ourselves accountable to those goals. So we've been reporting publicly on our diversity metrics for a long time, well ahead of when it was, was popular, and really with intention saying, can we reach out to diverse communities and really actively source uh, great talent? And it takes a little bit of extra investment in the beginning, but the, the, the payoff is great. You know, women engineers now can say, do I want to be a pioneer, can I want to be one of the first women in the engineering team of any of these other tech companies where I'm going to have to do a lot of double shift work maybe to get recognized? Uh, or do I just want to come to Etsy where there's tons of women in every level and all around and I can just be another engineer um, like everybody else? And it's a pretty compelling pitch and we get a lot of really great talent and it's, it's a real competitive advantage uh, for us now. Um, and so for the past 
uh, six years now, five, five or six years, we've really been focusing on underrepresented minorities, on particularly Black and Hispanic communities, and really um, sourcing with intention and holding everyone in the company accountable. Uh, we don't have a, a separate DNI team, and it's their problem. It's 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 my priority, and it's every hiring manager in the company's priority to hire diverse teams. We look at the metrics. We hold people accountable to. Are we sourcing from diverse communities? Do we have diverse hiring panels? Um, do we have diverse slates? And the result is that the diversity in, in every way uh, in the company has, has really grown, and that has made us more customer-centric. It's brought a more uh, diverse set of opinions into the room, which allows us to make better decisions, and, and we've had better business outcomes as a result. I think that that's great, and it, it's important to see that. You know, just it, it reinforces what, people are trying to do in the clinical research industry when other businesses are doing the same thing and trying to do that. And, you know, I think it's also good that we're trying to broaden our focus in diversity from, uh, you know, uh, initially a lot of focus on, on recruiting diverse patients, but also now engaging diverse physicians and um, more of a focus within companies as well. And I think that's, it's, you know, very important. And so it's, it's a, it's a great thing to see again, it's, it's similar to the complexity. It's one of those things you just have to completely focus on and, and stand by as you're going through. That sounds great. Well, I think we, we have some time. I think we have a couple minutes left. Uh, if anybody has questions, uh, for Josh and I can, okay, great. You got the microphones. You can ask questions. If, if, uh, if anybody wants to shout one, I'll try to repeat it so you can hear it. Great. Anybody have a Hi, Josh. This is Laura Black. I'll go first. Um, curious if you've participated in a clinical trial or know ah, anyone who has. Great question. Uh, I have not personally. Um, and uh, yeah, and there, there, there's probably a few that I, that I probably could and should uh, and would be interested in. So it's, it's a great point. My... Um, my brother is in the industry and has been in, in the industry for 25 years and has worked with John. And so uh, I've had the, the privilege of getting to watch John and admire his great work and, and the work my brother has done. And so uh, I, I think the work that all of you do is incredibly important. I've certainly benefited from the drugs that have come out the other end, um, but it's a great point. No, I haven't. And, uh, and I would be open to it. I would be interested. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's a, it's always a good question. That's I always think point. that's a neat question to ask about, even in our own group in this room, how many people have been asked by their physician to participate in a clinical trial? And yeah. usually it's very small because even we know this industry and seek it out. Um, so I, I know, Josh, your brother and I have both been screen failures on a study. So, you know, <laughs> so we're underachievers. Yeah. I've got eczema, and it feels like we haven't moved past top, topical steroids in forever, and I'm super interested in what's going on there. And, and uh, if there were some clinical trials that, that might work uh, in eczema, I'd be interested in that. So Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Hi, this is Celia Cornaza. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Massive Bio. I think my question to Josh is that when you were developing these two-sided network on the clinical research side, which we need to develop about a three- and four-sided networks. What were some of the biggest aha moments and the challenges that you have faced, and what were some of the things that you had to overcome 
that was maybe originally that wasn't necessarily something that you have thought that's going to happen, but it happened. Yeah, so I think there's a, a tools challenge and then there's a marketing challenge and maybe we can talk about each of them uh, separately. So on the tools side, we need to build tools that make it super easy for the sellers to be able to create a shop. They're generally not very sophisticated, right? This isn't, they're, they're artists, they make things for a living. And so making a website is not their skill set. So how can we make something that's super easy for them to list an item and create a shop? Um, online in a matter of minutes. And so we've invested a lot of time and energy in that. I wonder if in your world that would be, for example, like someone who's a, a doctor who wants to participate in trials, it'd be a clinical site, uh, for example. They don't participate in research for a living. And so the ability of how would I sign up for something like that and, and, and become approved for something like that might feel very daunting. And if there was a way to streamline that and make that feel a lot easier for them, uh, that would be important. We also have to build tools for the buyers because they've got to be able to come to Etsy and find things quickly. And unlike Amazon, where everything's mapped to a catalog, at Etsy, everything is a snowflake, <laughs> right? Uh, everything is, is, a, is a made in units of one. Um, and so the kind of search engine and discovery tools that we've had to build are unique. So there's a set of tools you need to build to take someone who is not who is a novice at this and make them um, make it easy, take the friction out. And then there's a marketing challenge, which is how are they going to find out about you? Um, and that's going to be true for the doctors who might want to participate as clinical sites. It's going to be true for the patients. You might need to market through the doctors um, in order to reach the patients. Um, and uh, possibly pharma as well. And that's where I think focus may be helpful. You know, trying to get into too many doctor's offices or too many different pharma companies across too many different disease pathways may be too much. Um, and picking a few may, may help. Yeah, I think that that's a great example, Josh. I think, you know, in, you know we, we definitely have more technology on the sponsor CRO side than, than for sites. And sites, there's a lot of, there's, tens of thousands of sites, and there's maybe three CROs now? I can't remember, they keep consolidating. And, and then, you know, a couple hundred sponsors. So you have a few to a huge amount, and then times X for the number of patients that you're interacting with. So I think there is a focus on the technology, you know, getting more easy for patients and, and physicians. That's definitely, definitely true. That's hey, great. John, this is Chris. Uh, hey, Josh. Hey. Uh, from Javara Research. Um, I'm interested to know, uh, we talk about this bi-directional uh, engagement of either the patient or the, uh, the customer, um, but where do we draw the line? Because we could be accused of, of spamming patients if we're not careful, you know, doing too much. Um, but how do we, we get and maintain their engagement um, in, in a way that is, is realistic and, and still helpful? And just so I understand, is this a patient who's already signed up for a clinical trial, or is this someone who maybe has just expressed general interest in? Yeah, um, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, one of the presentations before talked about community engagement um, mm -hmm. and ensuring the engagement back from it's this bi-directional nature of mm -hmm. the engagement. Um, so, yeah, how, it, in this environment, how do we get that patient engagement and then retain it? It's you know, um, first privacy is. Uh, it, people are increasingly becoming aware of the importance of privacy. I think that there was um, a lot of 
cavalier activity in the first couple of decades of the development of the web. <laughs> um, and we're seeing the, the, the cost of that now. Um, and so I know at Etsy, we're, we're very careful about not communicating to someone who wasn't, who hasn't asked to be communicated to and not communicating in a cadence greater than what they expect. Cause you can really turn someone off. And in your world, um, the appearance of having clinical data about them or, or, you know, you deal with things that can be very personal, uh, for people. So, uh, I do think that having people opt into uh, communication is going to be very important. In particular, we're learning more about how to ask, ask them to opt into more specific things. Um, so what kinds of research are you interested in or, or what, um, you know, what disease states are relevant to you that we can communicate? Because the more it's relevant to them, the better it's going to feel, provided that they gave you permission to know that about them. You know, you can buy a lot of data on the web these days, so you can send them things that are very targeted. Um, I shared with you that I have eczema, but if you reached out with a bunch of eczema marketing to me <laughs> and I had uh, volunteered that, I would have been pretty freaked out. Um, so I think to the extent that they can offer proactively um, what's relevant and then you act on what's relevant, we find people have a lot of appetite for communications that they've asked for in things that they've said are relevant to them. Yeah, great advice. Well, thanks, Josh. I really appreciate you coming and uh, spending some time with us today. I know I want to be respectful of your time and uh, thank thank you for doing so and, and appreciate all the uh, comments and, and uh, advice that you've had for us. So thank you, Josh. John, I appreciate everything you've done for the industry yeah, and everyone you. here. You know, I appreciate the, the work you do is very important in letting us all live healthier lives. It's really appreciated. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Craco Conference, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit cracoevent.com. Thank you.